3: Welcome to our new PR Week podcast episode with Arvind Hickman.
2: Hello, I'm Arvind Hickman and welcome to The PR Show. Today we're taking a look at sports marketing and how brands can score gold at the Tokyo Olympic Games. In the dugout, we have a special guest, the British Olympic Association's commercial director, Tim Ellison. Hello, Tim. Hi. Nice to see you. Also on our panel is H&K's new MD of sport, Jamie Cure, MNC Saatchi Sport & Entertainment UK CEO, Jamie Wynn Morgan, and the Playbook's Head of Sport, Nick Meakin. Let's kick off with Tokyo. Tim, can you give us a rundown on the levels of interest Team GB has had from brands and how this might compare to previous games? Uh, I think it's difficult for me to compare... You know, for the Rio cycle, I wasn't in in
4: the current role uh, role then. Or, like I say, at this time, you know, I think in particular as we head into the Games year, the interest is I wouldn't so sort of go as far to say unprecedented, but um, you know, 2012 was obviously a bit of anomaly in a way because because you're hosting the Games, so the interest with we had the similar numbers in terms of what you were talking about with what's going on in Tokyo, maybe not in terms of revenue, but certainly in terms of the number of sponsors and number of brands involved. Mm -hmm. But I think the success of Team GB in 2016, backing up the performance of 2012, with an even greater performance by becoming second in the medal table, means that brands are interested in what we're about, you know, in terms of that team that really does bring the whole country together, um, so many different sports, so many different stories, you know, a team of, we'll probably take around 380 athletes to the games this time. Uh, with over uh, potentially over half that uh, being female as well, so there's a lot of good stories behind the team, uh, and that's something that brands are you know aspiring to, and, and that's where our conversations are starting to develop more and more um, over the next few months, and hopefully right up until Games time.
2: What do you, what do you find is the major draw for brands that, that want to get involved? Is 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 the Olympics itself? Is it the concept of the Olympics, or is it more to do with some of the individual athletes and their backstories? I think it's a bit of both. I think the Olympics
4: still. You know, especially if we, we had a meeting yesterday with an agency talking about uh, Gen Z, which I can't profess to know a huge amount uh, at this stage, but I'm trying to trying to learn. And and I think the Olympics does is one of those few occasions in 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 life, if you will, that actually really does bring all countries together. Um, you know, we're you know, and our country in particular has been quite a divisive time recently, and that's why our campaign has all been around how we're what we do to bring the country together and get behind the team. Um, so I you know I, I think that that's one of the areas that we're focusing on is, OK, what, 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 is the, what does Team GB stand for in this modern Britain? And how can a brand relate to that through the, context, through the context, not just the sports
2: that we're in, but also the athletes that make up our team? OK, I might just ask some of the panellists uh, what sort of feedback they're getting from brands. I'll start off with you, Jamie.
1: Um, yes, I mean, the Olympics is still a huge draw. You know, it's, I think, by pure numbers, TV numbers, it's the second biggest sporting event in the world. Mm -hmm. It's consistently getting sort of 4 billion people watching it. So from a sports sponsorship point of view, um, it's a huge draw. So, and it's still, yes, there'll always be... You know, it always seems to draw in negative headlines in the build up to it, about is it gonna be ready on time? Rio had, you know, some really tough issues to deal with. Um, Tokyo doesn't seem to be in the same place as, as Rio is. But when it comes down to games time, you know, it's it's such a unique event compared to any other sport. The fact that it only happens every four years, the fact that the majority of the athletes are sort of, you know, still considered, you know, not professional, they have to train day in, day out for four years to get there. The stories that exist around the Olympics are just they're unlike any other sport, really, and mm-hmm. I think you know brands buy into the stories that they can help align themselves with if they can if they can provide, find the right insight that's right for their brand. And with the Olympics, there will be so many; it's still a huge it's still a huge draw for brands.
2: Okay, do you find that time zone makes a difference in terms of when the Olympic Games might be held? If, if it's, for example, in Tokyo, it might not be at such a
1: watchable time versus somewhere in Europe. Yep, there is that, but I think the broadcaster, the BBC, you know, have done an incredible job around that and also viewing habits have changed dramatically now. So actually, you know, the the Olympics sort of, you know, uh, ahead of us actually sometimes work better than the ones behind us. So you wake up in the morning, all the good stuff's going to be happening, you know, in the morning into the afternoon and stuff. Um, And the highlights packages and all all the cut-downs on social media and so on and so forth make make consuming the Olympics so much easier. I mean, the, the, the numbers that the BBC got the Rio Olympics a you know, like peak of 51 million or something mm. which was um, you know up 6 million on, on even uh, London 2012 I believe so it's still, it's still a big draw and I, I think just the modern viewing habits mm. have adapted so much that time differences whilst it's still a factor and you have your marketing campaigns need to adapt accordingly um, it's not as big an issue as it was probably
4: And I think just building on that, I think the the way in which people consume it, you you touched on that, Jamie, you know, this time it's going to be around that commuter period It's going to be really key. So people will wake up and there'll be medal events happening right from the right from the get go, right up until lunchtime. Um, You know, wouldn't say it publicly necessarily, but maybe a few people might skive off work and watch Olympics. That's great. Um, (laughs) You know, and in the mornings and then take that period up until to lunchtime. And we also talk about. You know, in twenty twelve, we spoke about the next generation and inspiring that generation. Well, that generation, you know, some of them weren't even born then, and now they're eight years old, and they're going to be like my kids will hopefully watch the Olympics as well for the first time. Um, and actually, the, the timings work well for them because you know, unfortunately, they are up very early, uh, and a lot of the medal events back in Rio were were past midnight. So actually, I think you know, you will win lose some, and you'll win some in terms of events and the timings that they take place at.
2: Yeah, it's also a really interesting point, isn't it, about the fact that how people consume media and sport now is so different to how it might have been previously. Previously, it might have been, you know, an event TV moment, whereas now there's all these opportunities on social media and, and other digital channels to really bring it to life. Well, what are some of the things that clients say to you, um, Jamie, at, at h and mm-hmm.
3: In terms of the technology and the content and the, the change. Well,
2: in terms of the appeal and in terms of how to bring it to life. Yeah.
3: I mean, I think as the guys were saying, you know, the the Olympics is still probably one of the most emotional events that you can be involved in. Um, and having had the opportunity to work at the IOC, and you look at the IOC creating things like the Olympic Channel, um, you know, it, it's always going to be a motive uh, content. And as Jamie said, you know, it's really about the storytelling. So. Brands really need to understand what their space is and, and how they can use their, their sponsorships or, or their partnerships to really tell their stories. Um, and that's you know that's important from, a, from a, a Team GB perspective, locally and regionally, and also from a global perspective with the, the money that the top partners are investing.
2: Yeah, the Olympics, of course, is quite a unique sports event to get involved with in terms of activations. Um, there are some quite strict rules, I, I understand, in terms of how brands can activate around the Olympics or, or during the Olympics would you like to sort of share some insights tim in into some of the restrictions in place
4: i mean i I wouldn't call them restrictions, but they there are, you know, the, the the rule forty, which I think you are getting onto, is is very much designed to to protect the Olympic movement, um, but also our athletes and particularly our brands, and we hold that very dear. Um, we're 100% commercially funded. Um, you know, we don't take any any money from from government, which is quite unique in the Olympic world. A lot of National Olympic Committees uh, would be would would do that. So protecting our sponsor family is absolutely paramount. Um, and you know, the, the rule forty does enable. Uh, enabled us to do that and there's been some you know some some uh, commentary about that recently and we're we're hopeful of resolution with the athlete group to to ensure that we maintain that protection for our sponsors but we're also maximizing the earning potential of our athletes because of course they are by far and away our most important and stakeholders you can imagine so i don't necessarily call it restriction i think it's it's it is quite unique to olympic marketing that bit I, i do know but i think it's part of the History and tradition of you know the amateurs side of of the Olympics. Of course, it's now as, as you know as very professional as, as any sporting event could be, if not more so. But it is there to to protect both parties. And I think you know some of the some of the commentary about it hasn't always been um, uh, been fair. And that's why we're working hard with that athlete community to make sure that you know everyone comes out of this with the you know the the best the best result possible.
2: Can, can you just briefly explain um, what, what Rule Forty means? Well, Rule Forty is designed to protect the sponsors. Of the Olympics and the
4: Olympic National Olympic Committees during the Games time, so that brands aren't then coming on board and ambushing the Games uh, as such. So that's something maybe perhaps quite different say in the football world, where you do see a lot of ambush marketing. Rule forty is designed to protect the brands that are aligned both to the National Olympic Committees, but also the you know the tops, the IOC tops program, so the likes of Coca Cola, Visa, etc.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, you mentioned before that there was quite a lot of interest in, in the Tokyo Games. Uh, can you give us sort of an update? in terms of your commercial program, how many brands you've managed to attract this time around? Um, so our domestic program has
4: we're currently up to um, well soon to be 13 partners uh, and, and 4 what we call supporters um, of course on top of that you have the Olympic partners so the global partners, the Coca-Cola's visas mm-hmm. Samsung's Panasonic's of the world um, that's, I think that domestic amount except for London 2012 is our highest amount of partners ever, ever. Uh, it's very important that whilst you know we have more partners than before, we all also take a lot of pride and time and effort and and I guess hard work to work with those partners to make sure that they all have their own unique uh, position, if you will, on our partner family so that companies can exist with maybe perception would be that they're relatively close in, in category. But what we do is we really create a, a distinct activation area so that they're not talking about the same thing. Uh, they're talking about their own their own position and their own campaigns in a unique way that allows share of voice to be spread evenly across.
2: Is there a premium number of partners for the ultimate cut through? I mean, is, is there a challenge, for example, if you have too many partners that, that they are sort of competing with each other for, for time and space? I think it's going to be very
3: interesting from a Japanese perspective, uh, because we've got 63 domestic partners. Now they have absolutely smashed uh, revenue records. I think for, it's 3.3 yeah, billion. Crazy. But you have two airlines, you have two banks now, um, throw into the mix the top partners. So, you know, it's very interesting. We're talking about what that white space is for, for the activation. <laughs> So, you know, interesting because you have to balance that revenue generation and then uh, being able to work with the partners and and actually activate. So,
2: I read in the FT that one of the Japanese, uh, one of the brands, I don't think they named the brand, but one of their head marketers said, you know, we spend about $100 million or whatever it might be and and there's no benefit for us whatsoever because there's so much competition.
3: Yeah, I mean, do you know what it is? I guess it's hard because I I don't want to be comparing how the Japanese market and how we market Mm. Um, is a very different style of marketing there. Uh, It's very Mm. advertising driven. That's not to say it's wrong. Um, So to get the cut through, to do some of the strategic brand activations that maybe we're used to in in London or in the US, it's going to be very different. But, you know, again, it's matching up the revenue generation for the OCOG because it is a startup organization seven years out with the top partners who have rights globally. So it is this complicated um, constellation of stakeholders Mm -hmm. in a very complicated ecosystem. So that's, that's why it's very interesting.
2: I'd like to sort of take a look now at what some of the brands are potentially doing leading up to Tokyo. Does anyone have any good examples that they can share of people they're working with?
1: Um, I, I, think I can say who we're working with but I can't really probably say what we're <laughs> going to be doing yet uh, so uh, but yes I mean look you know we've, we've worked with um, Coca-Cola for many years as their sort of Olympic glo- from a global point of view um, we're going to be doing some work with Dreams around Team GB which is really exciting I think it's a fantastic partner that Tim's brought on board mm-hmm. um, and because and I think they've got you know the reason they're such a great partner and I think most of the partners have got their, Tim said, got their own space and it's key to Successful sports sponsorship is. there has got to be a reason for you to be there. There's got to yeah. be a, a kind of a, a truth to it. And sleep is we, like the country's kind of in the last since the last Olympics, you know, podcasts about sleep, books about sleep. We, the country's woken up to the power of sleep. <laughs> sleep is kind of as important as training in the day now. So they've got a real reason for being there and they can do. Hopefully, with our with our support, we'll be doing some really exciting and interesting interesting work. So, you know, I I, know, I, know. I know you can't mention what you're doing specifically, but give us an example of how a mattress company, for example, might
2: activate the Olympics. I mean, the Olympics is about you know moving the fastest and jumping the highest and being really active. And, and yeah, what, yeah. what? Yeah, very clever. <laughs> I know you, I know you can't say what you're going to do, but just give us an example.
1: Um, so I, well, well, I think it's that. Speaking. I think it's like you know we will be absolutely dialing up you know to consumers the importance of sleep you know they are the experts in sleep and so you'll be using you know the athletes and the association you have with team gb which is you know is predicted to be you know as successful if not more successful in previous olympics they're phenomenally successful already so aligning yourself with that success and showcasing how genuinely important sleep is to that success uh, is will be you know part of the campaign but no, I'm not going to tell you exactly what we're going to do. It was worth a shot. So, yeah. so I, I, I noticed that
5: there was some teaser content that came out from some of the talent that you were working with last week, albeit not necessarily yeah. branded. Um, I've noticed that it seems that some of the Olympic partners are coming out a bit earlier than traditionally. So there used to be a sense that you know, the event would be in August and they would come out June, July, obviously conscious of the rule 40 restrictions. But some, one thing that struck me in particular is the Purple Bricks activity, mm. You know, smart because it's an interesting way of looking at a challenge. You know, what do estate agents and Olympians actually have, have in common? Um, but also the fact, from a business point of view, January is a massive time for estate agents, um, whereas probably August is not the same. I'm interested to, to sort of get your thoughts on that, Tim.
4: Uh, um, that's a great point. I mean we met with Purple Bricks a few weeks ago and they had I think their, their top trading period for January and the uh, the best period they've had for four years uh, or certainly for the first two weeks of January when, when we went to see them. Um, I don't think I'm giving a trade secret away. Actually I, I'm not so sure they plan necessarily to launch that early. I think they were just so pleased with the content January. that they had captured and the, the creativity of that campaign and I must say, we you know we have Sky Sports on a loop in our office, and it is on a lot of the time. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't get bored of it. Um, you know, and I've seen it probably more than most. So, uh, I think it's a good example of a partner that's utilising their their assets and their association with with us. Um, you know, in in your perceive, you know, in, in what most people perceive as early. Uh, that said, if you look at the content, it's not necessarily bespoke to a Tokyo message or an Olympic Games message. It can actually work outside of games time. Our probably our best example of that is Aldi. Aldi have been with us since 2015. Um, they've renewed with us uh, over until 2025 and hopefully beyond. Uh, and they ran Team GB campaigns last year, which was non-game, non-games year, the year before. Yes, we had the Winter Olympics in February, but they were running campaigns with the Brownlee brothers uh, in, in the summer of that year because they are very much set on using Team GB much more than just to play around the Olympic Games. We always talk about, or I always talk about with our partners, um and my team do around make make sure the Olympic Games is the icing on the cake. Don't wait for the Olympic Games to deliver everything. That is the that is the the, the the best bit at the end, of course. That's when the peak interest is. But your campaign can work hard for you outside of Games time, and the icing on the cake comes during hopefully what will be another successful Games period. And I think that's why they they and Purple Bricks and Aldi have gone gone early, and there's others still to come in the
3: next few weeks. Yeah, I was just going to say it's a very interesting point that Tim's Tim's making, and. You know, if you're investing in an Olympic partnership, you need to create that narrative over a period of time. And, you know, taking it away from, from local from a, for, for a second, if you look at the top partners, you know, they're investing millions of dollars. And some of them, it's not just about um, above the line storytelling or, or below the line storytelling and advertising. It's actually about creating relationships. So if you look at a uh, business like GE, they went into China and Beijing to create relationships to drive their business you know it was 60% focused on the US market you look at intel you know they are story doing by putting technology into the olympic games so it's if you really have to be as the guys are saying be smart about why it is you're sponsoring so, team gb yeah. or or the U- team usa or or the top partnership but mm-hmm. there is so many things um that, that we need to be thinking about and i think
4: you know to your original point um, right at the top of the of the of the show if you will around why do people why, what is the interest levels and why are there such high interest levels in the Olympics and part of that is for example it's not just about an awareness play um, in fact in many reasons for it it's about how can we create a partnership around purpose you know what is it about CSR employee engagement you know I work for for brand side for 15 years, and I'm you know almost embarrassed to say that's not a conversation I had very often, if at all, around why are we doing sponsorships? I think nowadays people have a workforce of whether it's 32,000 at Aldi or 1,900 at Dreams, um, you know, two and a half thousand at DFS. How what does it mean for me as an employee of that company, whether I'm CEO or the guy or the girl on the factory floor or anything in between? What does that partnership say about the company I work for, and how can they use that partnership and that sponsorship with Team GB? to, you know, motivate a workforce, make them proud, inspire them, um, do lots of health and wellbeing activity, which we do with a number of our partners. And that really makes the partnership work a lot harder. And that's my point before was that takes us away from a program or a campaign rather just around Tokyo that mm-hmm. allows us to talk mm-hmm. about the Olympic Games in 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 21, 22, and so on and so forth. And I think that's what makes the, the Olympic Games very powerful, but also quite unique.
2: It's quite an interesting point about purpose, and so, so it's a lot more than just spots and dots now that they can have a really goes for a much longer period of time and it sort of comes to life in many different ways. Is that what you're noticing as well, Jamie, in, in terms of how brands are looking to get involved and, and really take full advantage of, of their investment?
1: Over a longer period of time. Yeah, I mean. yeah absolutely. I mean, yes, it's, it's a, it's a one-month you know, competition every four years. But as, as Tim said, it is about the values you know, of it. Um, and it's about, it's about taking those, those values um, and that sponsorship and making it work as hard as it possibly can for as long as possible. There are going to be off years, you know. You know, it, it will still have an interest, but it's never gonna be as interesting in the off years. However, the you know, Purple Brits going early um, this year is is an example. Yes, they probably like the content, but it works, and the consumers are gonna buy into it. People are happy to talk about the Olympics, from a consumer point if you're happy to engage in um, Olympic content at any time really. I mean the five Olympic rooms are probably the most well-known and powerful sporting symbol in the world. Mm-hmm. So it can work at any time. Of course the interest is going to peak when people are competing and winning medals and so on and so forth. But if you come into it, if you sign up a four-year Olympic partnership and you're only going to activate around the month of the Games, then you're really not going to be using your money very wisely at all.
5: I think there's an interesting evolution as well of, of, of Team GB as as an entity because london 2012 obviously we go we knew a lot of the the big names going into it but Mm. one of the things that really came out of it was the the value of this brand um and particularly going into this you know it was interesting having a conversation in the office to the the general sports fans and and asking them who were the big names going into this olympics now this is the first olympics in in a long time where there's no usain bolt you Mm. know there's no michael phelps there's there there are are obviously going to be big big names but the, the kind of the Olympic resonance is, is, is significant itself. But Team GB as an entity now exists on the level of, of so many other um, sports that obviously have the advantage. If, if you're in if you're a Premier League, you can talk about the Premier League all year round. You know, Team GB is able to develop its brand to such that actually it resonates, um, you know, even, even in a kind of non-Olympic year.
2: Okay. Before we move on to other sports, um, I just wanted to ask each of you, and I'm going to put you on the spot here, what is one cool thing that we're going to see from brands at the Tokyo Olympics?
3: I, I think it's going to be immersive fan experiences, You know, whether it's Intel using their technology or potentially Visa with payment systems, Airbnb. Um, so I, I think it's going to be about the fan experience.
2: or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. For me. Okay. Anyone else want to add?
1: Well, obviously, it's going to be dreams talking about how important sleep is to the performance of their athletes. So it's going to be incredibly cool.
2: <laughs> Plenty of Z's. Anyone else? I, I think it's how
4: um, the brands. I'll use the Team GB brands as, as in general, or all thirteen for them of them, and, and potentially a few more as well. How they utilise that that in the moment magic. You know, that moment where hopefully Adam Beatty breaks a world record again and wins a, another gold medal, or. Maybe the hockey girls or, or, or men uh you know get a gold medal in in a team sport like that and how do they utilise that moment where the world where the country is watching that sport, that person, and everyone's getting behind team G B and how they utilise it. And I think that's gonna be really interesting.
2: Nick
5: I think the fan experience thing Is 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 bang on I think what a lot of people forget About London 2012 Was the unique experience Of going to the To the To the Olympic Park And being You know Being all those amazing activations I think I think this could be Finally the year Where the likes of VR And AR Actually come into play Um, I remember doing um, uh, some stuff during London 2012 with um, some AR in a a, um, holiday inn um, with a a BMX cyclist. And it was a great piece of activation, but I don't think anyone ever used it because it it wasn't relevant for, for what they were trying to do. If this becomes part of the fan experience and actually it's making the experience better, and also you've got to look at the partners involved, the number of technological partners, both from a top point of view but also local market, you know, there will be some significant innovations that come out of this Games. I'm not going to go on record to say what they are as such, but that would be a trend that I would, uh, I would be
1: expecting. And the use of, I think, <clears throat> the use of social media. You know, we're well, four years on from last summer. It's changed. Instagram stories didn't exist. TikTok didn't exist. So I think the way brands use that, the way consumers use that, You know, it's always that there will be something new that comes up, something that really basically generates a a lot of excitement, I think.
2: Yeah, fantastic. Much to look forward to this August. Uh, We're going to substitute the Olympics now, send Olympics to the bench, and we're going to bring on football because there is another major tournament this year which takes place in multiple locations across the continent Euro 2020. Now, I just wanted to um, ask our panel whether they have any idea in terms of brand interest for Euro 2020. Would anyone like to kick off? I was looking at me
1: so I'll, <laughs> so I'll kick off um, yeah there's a lot of brand interest I mean obviously Heineken just uh, announced it for a few weeks ago last month that they're signing up a sponsor um, Coca-Cola uh, we know are going to be doing a lot around it as well mm-hmm. um, it's, a, it's a very unique tournament from a football point of view hosted across 12 countries um, I think when they first announced it as usual people grumble and moan about these things but um, I think we all very quickly realised it's going to be I think it's going to be fantastic I think the I think the different passion you'll see from all the different sort of markets it goes to. I think the ability for brands to be able to market, you know, really in a really powerful way across those 12 markets is what's interesting to it. It's all these diverse cultures coming together. It's It's a bit of a cliche to say it, but it genuinely will be a celebrational festival of football because every, every country is going to put their sort of filter on it. Um, and I think from a brand point of view, that's actually made it really interesting. And uh, from, as, as, a, as a sort of a really useful platform to attach a campaign to.
2: Is that a bit of a challenge logistically, though, when you're having all these multiple locations in completely different
1: countries and cultures? How do brands sort of overcome that? Well, the brands like Coca-Cola and Heineken have no problem doing it because sure. they do that day in, day out. You mm-hmm. know, And I think if you look at a lot of the partners that the Euros have got on board, they'll have no problem doing it. Um, so I think you know Coca and Heineken, I'm sure, will be embracing it because you know they both sit very comfortably, you know, in the world of football, and they've both been involved in it for many, many years. And I think they will be embracing the challenge and delivering some some really good things for for consumers. It, 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 the multi sort of country um, format as well
5: opens it up to a lot of. Um probably not not sort of official partners to do activity i know of a couple of brands that are looking at the you know the fact that london is is going to be the host of some of the biggest games and seeing what they can do around the fact that there will be this festival of football you know in 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 london at that time and so from a kind of you know obviously, traditionally you know, we've been talking a lot about Rule forty and some of the restrictions around being an Olympic sponsor. I think this summer there'll be a lot of people that have associations with football but not the euros and UEFA that are looking at this as a great opportunity to to engage with consumers but also make a big impact.
2: Can you give us some examples uh,
5: i can't I can 't give definitive examples because of uh, because of the nature of the conversations we 're having but but you know you can imagine um, uh, you know, somewhere a nice central London location with a whole load of fans engaging with um uh, with football, it opens up to a whole host of different um partners that have been associated with football over the years, whether that be, you know, um FMCG or or or, or beer or whatever whatever it may be because of the fact that you know that you can almost guarantee that there will be millions of people watching football, particularly when England are playing, and how can you be part of the conversation when that's happening?
2: Because I guess traditionally, within with, with one of these big global football events, you will have one location... You'll have one local beer sponsor and one sort of global beer sponsor, and that's it. So I guess what you're saying is there are plenty of opportunities in each of these locations for different local brands to get involved that otherwise might not get a look in.
5: Yeah, yeah I mean that would that would be you know as as I said that there are you know these are these are early you know early conversations, but you know with 12 different markets. Potentially there is the opportunity for twelve different sets of brands in those markets. Now, mm. obviously the big UEFA-led fan parks, and one of the things UEFA is brilliant at is investing significantly in the in in the big fans events around the the, the, the key tournament locations. So I'd expect that to continue and there there, you know, your Coca-Cola's and your Heineken's will own that experience. But it's more around in the cities or, or near the venues where these are going to take place. What are the opportunities
1: for, for brands to kind of engage with consumers? I think Nick's Basically saying there's no Rule 40 <laughs> for UEFA. UEFA do do control it very well, but it's not the same level. So whatever to go back to Olympics quick briefly, whatever we might think of Rule 40, if you are a sponsor, it's absolutely right that they protect you mm. because you pay a lot of money for those rights, and it and it should. And I know it's coming some criticism with certain athletes feeling they can't thank their personal sponsors, about, but I, I personally think the Olympics are doing 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 a very good job. You know, with managing and protecting their partners, UEFA will try. But Nick is absolutely right. There is, there, is, there will be a lot of guerrilla activity around the Euros because it will be a lot easier to do it, and it'll be much harder for them, I think, to enforce it. Um, and that's what, that's why you could find a lot of activity
2: happening. Does this sort of open it up to different categories that traditionally wouldn't get involved in football to, to have a go? I, I,
5: I don't, I don't see why not. It, 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 it tends to be, you know. How how does marketing work? People are very, you know, they react to what people are engaging with. You you know, that's that's the history of marketing. Mm. But it it tends to be around a big event. It's very difficult to build a uh, an audience from scratch when you have no rights or assets or heritage in that in that individual sport. So I would expect people that have had associations with football, um, or certainly have associations with football, to be the ones that are are taking a lead role there.
3: Yeah, just to reinforce what the guys are saying, I mean, I I think UEFA have been really smart for two reasons. There's the romantic reasons of 60 years football bridging Europe, but also from a commercial perspective, because they have their, they've unbundled the rights to the national men's tournaments, which are the Euros and, and the the other, I can't remember the name of <laughs> the tournament, the Nations League.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, they've got a tier of the tournament partners, and then there's also the potential of 24 partners across the 12 territories. Mm-hmm. So, wow. you know, this is this is the next point. You know, there potentially will be brands in certain countries go in and, and sponsor and be very innovative in the way they do it. So there will be a, a commercial uptick for, for the guys at UF as well. So uh, I'm really excited about it. Yeah.
2: I'm really interested to, there's so much football on at the moment. You've obviously got the Premier League, the Champions League, uh, you've got the Euros, you've got various other tournaments throughout the calendar year and and, and periodically. Is there almost a bit too much football for brands? I mean, is there a never-ending amount where where the value proposition perhaps isn't as much as it might have been and and it's a bit cluttered?
1: I don't think so because they don't don't overlap. I mean, football's the biggest sport in the world. The World Cup is still, Mm. you know the most watched sporting event on the planet Mm. Um, and the olympics is not that far behind so um, it football's huge you know the the appetite for football is huge and i think you know the various governing bodies do work very hard to try and not overlap Mm. um and they all offer i think they all still offer something slightly different and you know they are continuing to drive big commercial returns more and more brands are buying into it they're paying more and more money the amount of rights fees being paid is going up year on year um, the amount of people watching sport events continues to to rise, so it's you know as a sport, I think it's in a it's in a pretty healthy healthy state.
2: Okay, well, I'm going to throw a bit of a curveball here, and and that curveball is going to be thrown <coughs> at Jamie C because he arrived a bit late. <coughs> <laughs> um, look, it would be a bit remiss of me not to mention the big um, sports sponsorship story of the week, and, and that is of course Manchester City. Um, on the weekend, UEFA announced that they were going to ban Manchester City from the Champions League for two years, which Manchester City is, is obviously going to appeal. I just wanted to ask, Jamie, what, what your thoughts are about UEFA handing down that ban. Do you think it's fair? And then what do you think will happen from here?
3: Um, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this play, plays out over the next couple of months, especially with the court of arbitration. Um, will it be a two-year ban? Being a betting man, I would imagine that they'll cut that to one year. Um, Am I surprised that it happened? Probably not. You know, a lot has been written about it. Mm. Uh, From a football perspective, it's going to be very interesting to see what's going to happen to City in terms of the players that are there at the moment, the manager, the coach. do I think it impacts the Man City brand? No, I, I think they've created a, a very, very interesting model globally with their affiliations with with other clubs, the City Football Group. So I, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but it's going to play out. It's going to be very interesting. Um, the final part to that is, you know, are the clubs that we didn't realise may qualify for the Champions League next year? They may have a chance. So I'm a Man United fan, <laughs> yeah. and I'm kind of hoping that... Man United might get in the Champions League next year, so you know it's going to be very interesting.
2: I believe we have a Tottenham fan on this panel as well, so
3: <laughs> yeah, I think
4: it's our uh, only chance of Champions League on current form. <coughs> um, yeah, I think it's yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's one of those things that it's probably going to happen at some point when they put the FFP um, regulations in, and I don't think with respect that Man City was probably the, the biggest surprise to come out of that. That said. You know, I'd be amazed if uh, Paris or one of the other clubs uh, might be a little bit nervous at the moment, um, depending on how deep this this uh, this investigation goes. Um, but yeah, as a Spurs fan, my word, um, you know, fifth has suddenly become come quite quite attractive. Whereas before, you try and avoid Europa League, now you might try and mm-hmm. try, try and go for fifth again. So we'll see.
2: I guess it's quite a, a big marker in the ground, isn't it, for UEFA and, and the the Kaz um, appeal is, is going to be a very important watershed moment in the sport, just to really see if, if the rules have teeth. Let's move on to other sports and sports sponsorship trends more generally. I just wanted to ask both of you in terms of, well, oh, sorry, all of you, in terms of sports sponsorship, uh, what are some of the key trends um, that we're seeing in the market? What are brands now looking for out of sponsorship <coughs> deals today that they might not have looked for, say, you know, five, ten years ago?
4: I think, you know, I, I did touch on this earlier, but, I, you know, certainly in, in my world at, at Team GB, we're having conversations around much more purpose-driven partnerships and certainly what it can do for their employee base is, is is conversations I don't think we were having, you know, maybe even as as, as near as four or five years ago. Um, you know, brands want to be seen, Jamie mentioned earlier around, you know, being credible and authentic uh, and that, and that's crucial and actually... You know, without saying too cheesy, kind of giving something back. So something like a partner like Aldi, yes, we they create some amazing campaigns, and there's a big media spend behind that about their association with Team GB. But actually, probably some of their greatest work they do with us is you know across um, you know 26,000 schools up and down the country, almost reaching uh, hopefully by by the end of this year, 1.2 million kids will have been through the Aldi Team GB Get Set program, uh, encouraging children to to be active, but also to eat eat the right foods and and, and and important messages like that so um th- those are the kind of um activations that we're seeing more of and long may it continue because i think that's where marketeers um uh, and and people at the top of the business making these decisions will hopefully and, and being a sponsorship practitioner myself and someone who's been involved in the industry a long time sponsorship will will still continue and be appealing to 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 brands if it's done in the right way and i think those kind of initiatives are only going to help that
2: Okay, let's well, we'll touch a little bit on in terms of evaluation and ROI. What, what are brands looking for? These how they, how are they measuring the value of of packages? Um,
1: well, it'll 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 vary obviously from client to client, and they clients will go into them with sort of specific objectives. Um, but fundamentally, to answer sort of both questions, I guess in terms of what are brands wanting to get out of it, and what's the evaluation model now is like what do they want to get out of it they need to know it's working I think gone are the sort of romantic days of the CEO signing something because he likes cricket you're not going to get away with that anymore um, there's the IEG sponsorship decision makers survey which is like the largest global survey of sort of all CMOs across all the major markets so if you're involved in sponsorship now sponsorship rights accounts for on average 17% of a CMO's total marketing spend that's a huge amount so they spend marketing money to, to, get, to get it back You know, it's got to deliver sales, it's got to deliver brand love, it's got to deliver a whole host of metrics. So the reason why people want to get into it is because they believe that it can make a significant impact on their business. And it has to, frankly, because a lot of these deals are are big money. Um, So we do a lot of work with clients to basically, you know, help them justify, help them work on their um, evaluation methods. Some of our brands are doing a lot of work around econometrics. So you can actually, you can determine, for example, a cricket fan is worth X amount more to you as a business than a non-cricket fan. So therefore, if you're going to be involved in sponsorship of cricket, you need to target this target audience because they will be more commercially valuable to your business. So... I think hopefully that answers both questions. They they're getting into it because they want they want it to work for them commercially.
2: Hmm. What about in terms of sorry, it, Jamie. No, it was just to again
3: what Jamie's saying, you know, p- partnerships, especially at a global level, can be truly transformational for a business. You know, and and I know I keep talking about top partnerships, but you know, you look at what you're spending on this and and there is brands going in there saying, we're gonna spend this much money from now until twenty twenty-eight. Because we want to change behavioural uh, metrics, we want to change employees and the way they feel from a sentiment perspective. Awareness drive sales and actually transform as a business. To Tim's point, you know, and it's the core of what that business is. And and. It's very interesting because you know we all work in communications, and there is this change and shift towards communication being imperative from a strategic perspective. When you're speaking to board people, and and they're just making decisions on actually, we should have a partnership. You know, gone are the days where it was just tactical. You know, mm-hmm. ta- tactics are still important, mm-hmm. and and you will have clients that want tactics. But I think this is really about strategy and measurement because you are spending money. And just going back to what Jamie said, you know, it's not chairman swim anymore where I like cricket and I'm going to spend a lot of money on cricket.
2: Of course, there's also going to be an element of risk involved in sponsorship as well. And I imagine clients are now much more sensitive to some of those risks. Is that what you're noticing? Are they doing their due diligence much, much more carefully?
4: Oh, there's a risk in any business isn't there in, in, in any walk of life, but I think it's important you know there's a lot more positive stories around sport than there are negative ones mm. um, you know, and I th- hopefully uh, this summer with the, both the euros but in particular with the olympics will we'll, we'll prove that and I think if, if brands are absolutely laser visioned in what they want to achieve through a partnership, set their objectives, measure it as well. Then they'll get success. You can't legislate for, for things you can't control. Uh, what you can legislate for is, is making sure that your campaigns and your activations are, you know, done to the best of your ability and, and reaching a target audience and reaching the metrics that you've set yourself. Um, and you know, as as we discussed earlier in the Olympics part, you know, there's so many positive, you know, amazing stories, particularly in the Olympics, whether that's someone winning a gold medal or someone just making the start line um, and everything in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, that for brands to get on the back of that and and you know, be be involved in the greatest show on earth earth is, is truly something quite special
1: okay yeah i think brands have to embrace that they have to go into it with their eyes open but they have to go into it with a clear strategy of yeah. what they deem you know uh, appropriate values and what they deem inappropriate values and and have a plan and act on it decisively when something does go wrong but sport is unpredictable and that's why we love it if we knew what was going to happen no one would watch it so you know, brands get in, you, you, when, you, when you're dialing, you're dialing to sports sponsorship because as a brand, you want to get closer to your consumers' passions. So you have to kind of become a fan and a supporter as well. So you've got to get the balance right. You can't just jump ship at the yeah. first time of trouble because the fans wouldn't. But that's when you have to understand, like, what's considered good brand values versus brand, bad brand values. Um, Nike, you know, famously did not leave Tiger Woods. Um, and I think they did pretty well out of it in, <laughs> from that partnership. So yeah. whereas all his other sponsors yeah. jump ship. Yeah. I mean, it was a personal issue. <clears throat> at the time Saracens other issues out there are completely different um, but I think yes you you just need a plan for um, what's right and what's wrong
2: Okay, we're heading deep into extra time here I've got one final question before the final whistle goes what one sporting moment are you looking forward to most this year we'll start off with you Tim uh,
4: well I mean there's hundreds of events in the Olympics I am very excited to see Sky Brown, who could potentially become our youngest ever um, uh, Olympian uh, on, this, on her skateboard, should she qualify. Um, but I am a big Adam Petey fan, and I would love to see him get the gold medal again and, and break a world record. I think that's probably the moment I'm most excited about. But I'm hoping there are many, many exciting moments to, to enjoy come uh, Tokyo 2020. It, Jamie?
1: Um, oh, God, there's so many. Um, <laughs> you got um, to pick one. you um, got to pick one. I'm I'm really looking forward to Euros mm-hmm. across twelve different markets. I can't wait for it. I think it's going to be, um, sorry, Tim, you want me to say Olympics? <laughs> um, it's the Olympics, obviously, because Tim's sat like to my right. I think I think the Euros is going to be um, is going to be a, a really great tournament, actually. Uh,
5: yeah, and I'll, I'll echo that. And I mean, the potential of England playing in a in a major final at Wembley would would be amazing. But I'm going to have to to probably chuck in an Olympic one as well. One story that really struck me in 2012 was um, uh, Laura. She's now Kenny, and the ability mm-hmm. for her to come back now as a mum to potentially dominate the track again. You know, I think not only from a sporting point of view, but from a story point of view, that is the kind of thing that you know you could see the whole nation going completely mad for that. So that's that's a you know having followed her for as long as I have done, I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to that.
3: Yeah, I'm really excited by the Euros. Um, don't think Scotland will be there, <laughs> we, we'll need to have a big result against two teams to be there. Uh, from an Olympic perspective, um, I'm actually very excited about the golf, um, the reason being I was there in Rio um, and I saw what golf was in Rio mm. and I think it's just going to be huge. I think it's almost going to be on the level of a major because Japan is crazy for golf. Um, there was a big tournament there last year which Tiger Woods won so I, I'm, I'm quite excited and hopefully Justin Rose can uh, defend his gold medal as well.
2: Yeah. Fantastic. Well, uh, being a Liverpool supporter, I'm looking forward to the Mighty Reds finally lifting that Premier League trophy after 30 (laughs) years. I'm afraid that's all we have time for. I'd like to thank our sports panel, Tim, Jamie, Nick and Jamie, for playing this podcast with a straight bat and being really good sports. I'd also like to thank our production partner, Marketeers and all of you for listening. We hope you enjoy this mega Olympics and football year of sport and get the most out of your investments in time and entertainment. Until next time, I'm Arvind Hickman. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the PR Show podcast with Arvind Hickman.
3: Brought to you by PR Week. If you like what you
2: heard, please leave us a nice review.